everyone. Welcome. Hello, welcome everyone. Welcome. Hi. We're being semi-punctual. It's 8.43 or something, I mean 7.43. Welcome, welcome to Clock Shop. Um, how many of you are here for the first time? Good. Every one of these, we get a whole new slew of people. Um, so you are at Clock Shop and Elysian. Um, we share the space with Elysian, which is a restaurant that is run by my husband, David, and it's open from Wednesday through Saturday, so please come. We've been here since 2002, and um, Clock Shop is an arts organization, and we produce and commission projects by artists and writers. And we also program events like this, which we've been doing for, you know, I was going to say over a decade, but actually it's been more than that. It's been almost 20 years, and um, yeah. I know, and we have the honor of welcoming back Robin Kelly tonight, who actually was one of our first speakers back in 1998 when we began this in Brooklyn, New York, and then we came here. So it's, it does make me feel like I have some longevity, and, and that's, that's nice, and it's really great to welcome someone back. So thank you. Um, so after the election, we knew that we needed to respond with programming. So we just decided to invite people who have been writing, thinking, organizing around many of the issues that we've been confronted with over the last year and a half. And most especially over these last three weeks. All of us at Clock Shop are strong believers in listening and reflecting upon the work of those writers and journalists whose words help us to understand the world. Listening and reflecting together within a community of people seems especially important right now. And it's important to come together with strangers, I think, acquaintances and friends to talk face to face um, in a place that maybe is not university or not your workplace. And so, I want to invite you all, although we've been waiting, I know that you probably have talked to people around you, but please turn around and introduce yourself to someone who you don't know. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Don't mean to cut those conversations short, but <laughs> it can be continued afterwards. <laughs> that was good. That was some good soundtrack, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so we're we're it's January 31st. We're at the end of the month of January, and it's honestly it's been a long hard month, hasn't it? 
<laughs> it's been a week and two days. And then we were here last week on Tuesday. Last week on Tuesday. How many people were here last week on Tuesday? Thank you. Um, and last week on Tuesday, we were discussing Standing Rock and the LA River. And um, the order had just been given that day, last Tuesday, by Donald Trump to reinitiate the pipeline. And tonight, it's true, I don't. And tonight, I did read the news that um, the Army Corps of Engineers has issued the easement that was necessary to continue the pipeline. And that and a lot of other things this week have happened. And um, I don't know, I think each week I don't think we're going to be where we are, but here we are. So an event like this for an organization that's small like ours doesn't happen easily, and I want to thank people in the room who've made it happen, the amazing people who work with me, Savannah Wood, <laughs> Mackenzie Hoffman, who's behind the door, and Sasha Archibald. Thank you. And Skylight Books, who's been here with us at every event. Thank you for being here. And my, some of my board members, uh, President Tracy Gray, thank you for being here. And Ashley Hunt. Thank you. So we're considering how we might be able to continue this series into the spring. And if you're interested in knowing more, please join our mailing list if you haven't already. Follow us on social media. Spread the word to your community. And if you get something out of tonight's event that's more than $5 that you paid, please donate some additional money. Because I can tell you that we will use that money to fund the continuation of this program. It will be put to very good use. Um, so in programming this series, we recognize that it was important to have a mix of issues and also of ages of generations who were invited to speak here. So we started um, several weeks ago on January 10th with Lori Penny, a 30-year-old feminist from the UK who came to talk about her writing and her firsthand experience confronting sexism and misogyny. Um, and one thing that she said that was really interesting to me was she said she had just arrived from the UK and she kind of had gave us a perspective on Brexit. And she said, you Americans, you act so quickly. You, you respond so quickly. We don't do that in the UK. We, we debate about whether we're going to look stupid, but you don't, you don't do that. You just act. And that was interesting for me to hear from someone because I, I don't, from the inside, I, I think maybe things happen too slowly here, but it was interesting to hear that opinion. Um, and next we had Linda Mapes, a seasoned environmental reporter from the Seattle Times who has been reporting from Standing Rock talking with Mark Lopez, an environmental justice organizer from East LA, who is maybe around 15 to 20 years younger than Linda, so we're trying to mix up the generations. And across each of these talks, um, and continuing into this evening, a consistent theme that has arisen is how we were all dealing with the fact of inequality in our society. I think that's one thread that we can pull through. Inequal and unjust treatment of women, Inequal access to land, healthy environments, and clean natural resources. Inequal access to be able to travel and cross borders and to be recognized as a human being. We're living in an unequal society and the divide is only becoming greater. So 
how do we address this and begin to reverse it? I'm not sure, but I think that more awareness of this and um, tying together this threat of inequality and maybe trying to talk about it in a group of acquaintances, friends, and strangers might be some start to something. So the words of Dr. Martin Luther King addresses this and consistently offers us some light and some hope. So it's a pleasure to reflect on these texts with our esteemed speakers, Robin Kelly and Robin Cost Lewis, and I want to invite Savannah Wood, who will be moderating tonight, uh, who works at Clock Shop with me, to introduce tonight's speakers and to lead them through a conversation. Thank you. Okay, so I thought Julia was going to introduce them, but I can fix this really quickly. <laughs> we can make it happen. Um, give me just a second. You guys know who they are. Yeah, we can do <laughs> that. Yeah. No, we just no I mean, I have it. I mean, if you would like to introduce, you want me to read it? Okay, no. all right. All right, excuse me. Robin D.G. Kelly is Professor and Gary B. Nash Endowed Chair in U.S. History in the Department of History at the University of California, Los Angeles. His research has explored the history of social movements in the U.S., the African diaspora and Africa, black intellectuals, poverty studies and ethnography, colonialism, yeah, imperialism. You don't, have to, you don't have to see all that stuff. You don't it's want okay. me to? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's not important. I wrote a couple of books. You know, we'll talk about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, 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 we have um, a couple of books for sale from Skylight, so thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Um, Robin, yeah, I will introduce, yes, Robin, introduce Lewis. Robin Lewis. <laughs> she is the National Book Award winner in poetry for mm -hmm. her debut um, book of poetry called Voyage of the Sable Venus, which is also available for sale via Skylight Books, so be sure to check them out when we um, leave here. So I want to give a little bit of a background on this particular event that's part of Counter Inaugural. Um, Robin and Robin Lewis and this is going to be difficult all night too. Well, can I Robin just Lewis. can I just interject <laughs> that my middle name is Kelly? <laughs> it gets really weird. You got two Robin <laughs> Kelly. Okay, so okay. go ahead. All right, all right. So Robin Lewis and Julia are good friends, and Robin knew that we were doing this series, and she wanted to talk about love in the face of um, this inauguration and this election. And in our office, it wasn't me, I'll have you know, but somebody said, how can we talk about love in this moment when all we want to do is fight? This is crazy. And then she suggested, let's talk about Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And I reread that letter, and as I was looking through it, I thought, oh my God, I'm so mad right now because it's so beautiful, it's so eloquent, but then there's nobody who's really going to listen to these words. And I was really pissed off when we were talking about this yeah. in the office. And, and I didn't get an answer for why she wanted to talk about this, so that'll be my first question. Um, we have talked about it a little bit already. I'm not as angry. I reread the intro to Freedom Dreams, and I was like, okay, 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 calm down. Like, there is optimism in front of us. There is hope to be had, but... Um, so it took a little bit of a process, because every single day I think we're all dealing with a lot of anger, a lot of fear, um, but also trying to figure out how to move through these things and to do something that yeah. um, 
is active. So I'm curious, Robin Lewis, why you chose this text and if you could talk a little bit about Martin Luther King's ideas around love and how you think he defines love. And I would like to ask the same of you. Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Can you guys hear me in the back? Not that well. Uh, sound people, can you turn up my mic a bit somewhere? Tom. Oh, hey, Tom. There you are. I couldn't see you over there. Thanks, Tom. How's that? Mackenzie, it's okay? Okay, so the question is, why did I want to talk about Letter from the Birmingham Jail specifically? And also, what is my understanding of MLK's um, kind of construction of love, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, I wanted to talk about Letter from a Birmingham Jail specifically and other works of his as well because I just, it's hard for me to stomach how Martin Luther King has been packaged um, via capitalism for um, American kind of corporate media consumption. It's disgusting, it's sad, it's tragic, it's our great loss. Um, because his kind of theology, right, um, is lost in translation. And so um, I think Letter from a Birmingham Jail is just one of many of his letters, his speeches, his lectures, where he kind of flushes out um, more fully than he did in the March in Washington, which is, you know, primarily what he's known for these days, mm -hmm. which is just, I've, I feel like he's been kind of stolen from us. Um, and so I wanted to just sit down and read it slowly. I also had just seen uh, Anna Devere Smith in Santa Monica perform Letter from a Birmingham Jail. I saw that. Do you see there. that? I and I was so, I'm getting chill bumps, I was so, um, slayed, moved, mm. um, because her delivery, she did not rush through it. She was quiet. It was a very quiet performance. Um, there were interludes, musical interludes with piano and violin, I think. And so you really got to think about the letter itself, right, and, right, and the delivery. And I so wanted the whole world to read that letter after I saw mm that performance again. Yeah. I had even right. forgotten how powerful it was. Right. Um, I, you know, his notion of just and unjust laws, we can just mm. start there. Mm -hmm. The urgency of now, how many of you guys uh, went online and actually looked at the letter or have it and read it? Yay, you guys, we're gonna have fun tonight. <laughs> that's good. So, um, so that's why I wanted to read that letter mm. here and again with friends just to go, we're not lost, we're not helpless, we're not without tools, we're not without anything. We're actually quite um, mm -hmm. uh, empowered and quite, we know where we are, we know this moment quite well. Right. It's not foreign to us and we know how to react if we just take a breath, organize, make some goals, right? right. That's the other thing I wanted, I wanted us to read um, MLK for because you know, rarely, if ever, were they out there um, doing nonviolent actions without a goal in mind. Mm -hmm. You know, you just don't, they didn't just run into the street for no reason. They were trying to accomplish something with every action they took and every step they took. So I was interested in that too. And then about love, um, 
I've embarrassed myself a few times on stage in the last couple of months because people go, well, what do you think about Trump? And I go, I'm trying to figure out a way how to love him. And then the whole audience goes, you're nuts, <laughs> right? And I said I would stop saying that on stage, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it again <laughs> because without love, we're lost. Mm -hmm. We're lost. And for me, my family's from New Orleans, right? Both my parents grew up seeing people get lynched. My father was born in 23, my mother was born in 36. Um, they had very complicated experiences in the Jim Crow South. And what love means, I feel like it's a very Wittgensteinian moment. What love means for me and what love means for other people might be completely different is what I've realized. Because for me, love mean, means holding someone accountable. It doesn't mean calling them out necessarily. It means holding them accountable with tenderness and not letting up. Mm -hmm. It means provocation, you know, like hard love is a, th a saying in the black community. You know, you love hard. Right. It's like, that's right, you know. And, and so when I think about loving Trump, it's about figuring out a way to engage. And Trump is just a symbol. Please, that man is probably not even in his body, right? <laughs> so. It's just a symbol. But when I think about engaging xenophobia and completely clinical narcissism that's so far gone that it's madness, mm. I don't, I can't justify going up to someone and punching him or mm. screaming at him or calling mm -hmm. him whatever all the names we, people call him. That's like, that's not going to get us anywhere. So when I talk about loving him, I'm trying to figure out how to maintain his attention which is a very writerly thing to think about. Mm. You know, like how to keep his attention right here so that I can actually try to communicate. So that's what love is for me. It's not like, right? We all know that from our families. <laughs> love ain't got nothing to do with like. Right. So I know you say it's it also the, about that. Yeah, we say it Sorry for, for being so verbose. Mm -hmm. yeah. What'd you say? I say it to, the, my, to my kids. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I could love you. I don't have to like you. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Um, Absolutely. You know, this is, this, oh, exactly. <laughs> you know, this is, this is really, it's so funny because we're sort of, we're on the same wavelength, though. I didn't really realize we we're going to talk about King until like a couple days ago. And, um, and in thinking about this, um, I want to talk about what King meant by love. Yeah. Um, he, you know, and this is very, very important, and you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, King, you know, who studied Paul Tillich, I mean, his dissertation was on Paul Tillich at Boston yeah. University. Yeah. Um, oh, louder? Oh, you can't hear me? I, okay. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. The sound guy would turn so, you um, <laughs> So for King, he meant love was agape. Mm -hmm. It wasn't eros, you know, romantic love. It wasn't philia, which is friendship. Those are all, they all have their place. But he meant agape. And by agape, he meant... Um, the constant struggle to preserve and make community. Yeah. That in agape, there is no distinction between uh, friend and enemy. There's no enemy. That you love militantly. Mm. And loving is exactly about holding people accountable, uh, demanding accountability, and again, demanding that you struggle to make community, because if you actually respond to hate with hate, you distort your own personality, let alone uh, the others. Um, and so I take, you know, when you say to love Trump, what I take that to mean is to be able to embrace and struggle with 
struggle with the people who support Trump, the people who, who believe that somehow um, exclusion and violence and dispossession are means to gain what they don't have, mm. you know, that hurting other people somehow is going to benefit them. Um, and you can't, you, you don't have to, you don't have to accept that, but you don't blame people for that. You don't simply say, okay, we're going to basically exclude you, you know. Um, and that's what I think what King meant. And just want to read something, uh, when he talks about agape, just two lines. He says, you know, love agape is the only cement that can hold this broken community together. When I am commanded to love, I am commanded to restore community, to resist injustice, to meet the needs of my brothers and sisters. Uh, and he talks about um, you know, preserving and creating community. In the final analysis, agape means recognition of the fact that all life is interrelated. All humanity is involved in a single process. For example, white men often refuse federal aid to education in order to avoid giving you know, black people their rights. But because all men are brothers and all women are sisters, they cannot deny black children without harming their own. Um, and so much of the violence and much of the exclusion in all these executive orders are about ultimately not, har not just harming those they consider the other, but harming themselves too. Um, and even before King said this, Amy Césaire said it in Discourse on Colonialism, that you know, it's, it's the, the, the colonizer decivilizes himself. Right? So we don't really have time not to build a politics around love. That would be a disaster, yeah. an absolute disaster. Yeah. Uh, we just have to be clear what King meant by it. Otherwise, you know, we're going to fall into the trap of thinking sentimentality and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. about forgiveness. It's about struggle. It's not about forgetting. It's about building something new. And so direct action, civil disobedience, is an act of love. Yeah. You know, bringing down the structures that oppress are acts of love, even if those people are kicking and screaming who don't want that brought down. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and it, it also means making that huge leap to where the, the oppressor, and this is a hard thing to say, that you have to love the oppressor, not because you like the oppressor, not because you, because you basically want to dismantle oppression exactly. and rip the oppressor from the position of ownership. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's, that's what we're striving for. It's you know? very difficult work, too, as mm -hmm. we have seen. Right? The other thing I was thinking just now, you said about there's a great Buddhist slogan right, that um, Gandhi used a lot and R.K. Ramanujan is that it's, there are no others. Mm. Right? There are no others. And it's just, you can just sit with that for a long time. Like, no matter how much you try, if you can pull that back into you, um, I think that's one of the kind of liberation theologies that got articulated into American nonviolence, you know? Like, there, there, is, no, there is no us in them. It's just us. It's just us, you guys. And I think we vacillate between that idea and just the day-to-day -day facts of people being kept out of the country because somebody else said that you are another. Right. And so when I, I think right. about um, Stokely Carmichael, for instance, saying that, MLK's flaw in his theory of nonviolence was that he imagined the America to have a conscience and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do in the face of that? You know, yeah, like but, how but do you Stokely was wrong. You think I'm so? sorry, I'm sorry, he was wrong. <laughs> he mis he misunderstood King. Uh -huh. King never uh -huh. actually believed that that the US had a conscience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I disagree with King on some other things. Mm -hmm. 
um, in terms of the American project being about freedom. That's mm -hmm. definitely not true. This, is, this country is built on anti-democracy, right. and we could talk about that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe me, um, when your kids read Plato, read along. Because mm. Plato's all about anti-democracy, mm -hmm. but let's, we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but Stokely's wrong about this, because what King was trying to say, and this goes back to letter, if you go back to read letter from a Birmingham jail mm -hmm. real carefully, he's saying it's not that, that there's a, uh, that moral suasion works, that, that America has this moral conscience ready to be pricked. Mm -hmm. It's the social movement that needs to produce a conscience. Mm -hmm. That the social movement is the conscience of mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right? And that struggle, that is even struggle that be, that's redemptive um, suffering, produces that consciousness in the movement, the conscience in the movement. Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and that's why he says, I'm not going to like beg you. We're not going to beg you for change. Mm -hmm. We're not going to suffer and hope that you see us suffering and want to act. We're going to make life so difficult that you can't do anything but give us mm -hmm. justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what he was saying. Right. So Stokely, now, I don't, I, I, it's not that I think that he's entirely wrong. I think that he probably knew better, but he had a different agenda. Mm -hmm. But he's not here to talk about it, so I'm here. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know. No, 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 it's good, you. it's good. Um, on that note, I kind of wanted to talk about this list that we passed out to all of mm -hmm. you. Um, sure. This one, yes. you guys. Robin brought this up. This is um, sort of a list of directives of how to integrate buses now that segregation was mm -hmm. deemed unconstitutional. Um, sure. So I thought we would read it aloud together. We're going to have a close reading, imagine. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say, though, is, you know, again, if I didn't say it before, is just that nonviolent action is about provocation, mm -hmm. right? You, you act to provoke. We will force you to change. Right. It's fantastic. It's like so many angles, mm -hmm. right, in terms of uh, thought and philosophical thought and, you know, kind of political action thought. There's so many things you try to have to try to figure out and stay soft at the same time. And that's the thing that keeps coming up with me, reading this uh, integrated bus suggestion. So let's just read it aloud, you guys. I'll read it for you if you guys don't have copies. Okay. Yeah, we don't have enough copies, but so I'll read it aloud. But there are people around who maybe you guys can huddle together and share. It's just like back in the day when there were 12 grades in one classroom. That's what we're doing here, OK? Since we have to be close. Here's, right. So here we are right now doing nonviolent activism in this room. We're going to read it together and share. Integrated bus suggestions. This is a historic week because segregation on buses has now been declared unconstitutional. Within a few days, the Supreme Court mandate will reach Montgomery and you will be reboarding integrated buses. This places upon us all a tremendous responsibility maintaining in face of what could be some unpleasantness. <laughs> a calm, I can't read, a calm and loving dignity befitting good citizens and members of our race. If there is violence in word or deed, it must not be our people who commit it. For your help and convenience, the following suggestions are made. Will you read, study, and memorize them so that our nonviolent determination may not be endangered? First, some general suggestions. One, not all white people are opposed to integrated buses. Accept goodwill on the part of many. Two. The whole bus is now for the use of all people. Take a vacant seat. Three, pray for guidance and commit yourself to complete nonviolence in word and action as you enter the bus. Four, 
Demonstrate the calm dignity of our Montgomery people in your actions. Mm -hmm. Five, in all things observe ordinary rules of courtesy and good behavior. Exactly. Six, remember that this is not a victory for Negroes alone, but for all Montgomery and the South. Do not boast, do not brag. Seven, be quiet but friendly, proud but not arrogant, joyous but not boisterous. Eight, be loving enough to absorb evil and understanding enough to turn an enemy into a friend. Now, for some specific suggestions. One, the bus driver is in charge of the bus and has been instructed to obey the law. Assume that he will cooperate in helping you occupy any vacant seat. Two, do not deliberately sit by a white person unless there is no other seat. Three, when sitting down by a person, white or colored, say, may I, or pardon me as you sit. This is a common courtesy. Four, if cursed, do not curse back. If pushed, do not push back. If struck, do not strike back, but evidence love and goodwill at all times. Five. In case of an incident, talk as little as possible and always in a quiet tone. Do not get up from your seat. Report all serious incidents to the bus driver. Six, for the first few days, try to get on the bus with a friend in whose nonviolence you have confidence. You can uphold one another by a glance or a prayer. Seven, if another person is being molested, do not arise to go to his defense, but pray for the oppressor and use moral and spiritual force to carry on the struggle for justice. Eight, according to your own ability and personality, do not be afraid to experiment with new and creative techniques for achieving reconciliation and social change. Nine, if you feel you cannot take it, walk for another week or two. We have confidence in our people. God bless you all. The Montgomery Improvement Association, the Reverend M.L. King, Jr. President, the Reverend W.J. Powell, Secretary. Yeah. What do you guys hear? Do you mind me? No, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. What, are you, what, do you got, what, what hit you? What touched you? What moved you? What scared you? What made you uncomfortable? Yes, ma'am, in the back. You, yes, dear. <laughs> Yes. And the first reaction was how beautifully noble mm. I aspire to be just. Mm -hmm. And then as you went on, all I could think about was how many brothers have been just killed. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And they're not doing any of all of these poor manners that mm -hmm. you never asked. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I experienced this contradiction greatly. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. We can advance forward, and how do we respond when we're being judged? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And? <laughs> well, I've spent many a number of years on the front line. Yes, you have. Many a number of actions of all forms of civil disobedience and, and I 
Yes. I think that's absolutely right. And from a veteran of the movement, you know, um, who has put so much of your life on the line, yeah. you know, one of the things that, that reading this is interesting is that you could, you see the respectability politics mm -hmm. and you can see why it was called the Montgomery Improvement Association. And remember the context for the bus boycott, and most of you know this, is they had to find the right respectable woman, in this mm -hmm. case Rosa Parks, who was actually not respectable. She was a militant mm -hmm. with a long history of struggle. But that's another story, you know. But um, uh, yeah. Claudette Colvin was the one, not not the first, but in terms of a possible test case, Claudette Colvin was someone who also was arrested, who was ready to put her 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 life on the line in the sense of being a test case for desegregating the buses, and they chose her because she um, was an unwed mother. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, this is, this is, these are uh, the politics of, a, of an era mm -hmm. that the women who have organized movements like Black Lives Matter um, are not going back to, but going to a different kind of uh, militancy. It's still nonviolent direct action, but it's one that's not trying to turn black people into respectable citizens under the belief that somehow politeness wins citizenship. Mm -hmm. you know? And the truth of the matter is that in, in the struggle in Montgomery, uh, not everyone followed these directions. <laughs> and, and, and I know this is the case because I, you, know, it, you talked about all the um, black men and women beaten and slain. They were beaten and slain on the bus in Birmingham and Montgomery uh, in the 1940s, like hundreds of cases, mm. hundreds, not just like a dozen. Um, and that memory of state violence where streetcar conductors and bus drivers were armed, mm. and, this is because, and they used their guns, and people were beaten over the, the smallest slights. We could talk about that. That's the context in which people were told this is how you need to behave. And the amazing thing is the level of discipline to be able to actually do that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's astounding. But you're right, there's a, there's a way in which those politics represent a particular moment, a particular project, mm -hmm. versus the politics of today, which represent a different moment, uh, despite the fact that it still draws a strength from, from yeah. the past, but I appreciate it. I, I, don't know, I didn't want to take too no, much that's time. No, that's great, right. yeah. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. sir. Can you speak up just a little bit, sir, please?
Yes, that's true. That seems to me a different message than you have to be good Negroes and be to be good citizens, and you have to rise above it. That, that's a pragmatic lesson that's saying we, we can't have this turned into open war, because if it turns into open war, we lose. Absolutely. That's true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's true. No, I accept Thank that. you, sir. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I have to say I agree with you, too. I don't, I don't hear let's... First of all, I think like the... I mean, you know, the whole word intersectionality has been around for a few decades. Mm-hmm. I know it's sexy now. People are catching on to mm-hmm. it, but it's been around for a few decades. And I think it would be really good at every step to unpack what we mean by intersectionality Mm -hmm. because it means different things to different people. I think the same is true with politics of respectability, Mm -hmm. right? For me, I study with Evelyn Brooks Higginbotham, Mm -hmm. so I was a research assistant for many years, and for me, politics of respectability is quite radical, right? If you have all the churches in the South boycotting sugar, Mm -hmm. right, and you hurt the sugar industry, that's pretty profound to me, mm-hmm. right? And so when I think about um, politics of respectability, I'm thinking, well, I don't have an army, I don't have an airport, I don't have a plane, and I'm a minority. So what kind of you know, political mm-hmm. ideologies can I somehow, I'm also the baby, so I'm right. always thinking, I'm, al- I'm always in a position of powerlessness with my siblings. How can I figure out a way to take them out Without, I'm no, I'm being funny because I like to be funny, you guys. But I'm being, I'm also completely serious. Mm-hmm. How can the powers? How can people who are so-called powerless, which I don't believe in for mm-hmm. one minute, take out or undercut notions of power? And I think I, I'm so happy you said that. I don't hear "let's be good Negroes" here. Right. I hear "let's be stronger" than the kind of. Um, ideas that are at play, right? And so th- my favorite part of this whole thing is take a vacant seat. Right. Mm. It is the most neutral and yet most historically and politically mm. charged statement in this whole thing. Take a vacant seat, that's all we're doing here. Mm. It reminds me of Gandhi, you know, the, the salt march. Let's just, you know, because it mm-hmm. was illegal because the British had taxed all salt, right? In India, let's just walk to the ocean and make salt. Mm. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to go make salt. And I'm trying to figure out, for this moment, how to use that kind of ideology to throw a wrench in what seems to be a runaway train in 10 days. What, what, is, what, is our, what are our responses? I don't think mm. there's just one way. Yes, ma'am. And then, yeah. um, I'm just wondering, you know, 
Yeah. Oh, anti- I'll repeat it. The anti- anti-Uber <laughs> thing is one of the ways that she's, I guess, impressed by um, in terms of throwing a wrench and stopping it. Now, you guys did hear, though, that apparently Lyft um, mm-hmm. is more in bed with Trump than mm-hmm. Uber is, it turns out, if you guys have heard that. There's also another, um, is it Move On, Move In? Move In. Move In, another app that's black-owned. That doesn't necessarily mean he's not in bed with Trump either, so we should do our research, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the other thing, you guys. We have to be careful with our essentialism, right? It's very interesting how essentialist we can be in the name of progressivity. I'm going to get essentialist real quick and okay. say um, <laughs> part of what I find to be really difficult about this type of resistance right now is how in bed everybody is with everybody else and how in bed um, big business is with politics. And in fact, in this moment, Trump is our president. So... I'm curious, I want to hear from you also, Tracy, but I am curious about like how, how you think this moment might be different from others that we've seen before because of the very overt and clear connections between big business and government. See, I thought you meant it in a different way. Well, answer it how you thought. Tell me how you thought I you think heard everyone it. is in bed with everyone, mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. And I think we can use that to our advantage. Mm-hmm. I was joking, I was like maybe we can just go down south and do some kind of hip-hop stuff with the Klan. Wait, unpack that, please. No, 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 listen, no, listen, no, listen, stop. Listening, I'm listening. With the Klan's daughters. Eager to hear more. No, right, so when I was growing up as a high school student, right, and as elementary school, I don't know about you guys, but... Black nationalists infiltrated our nursery rhymes with so many slogans and songs. I don't want to sing them because they're really violent and mm-hmm. fantastic, right? And I'm just thinking, is there some way to infiltrate when you say being in bed? Mm. Like, I think about it literally. Like, we, you know, you youth, you guys, I know there's a lot of nationalist youth of, youth of all kind, but it, I'm really um, heartened by junior high school students and high school students, how political they are, how engaged they are, how they're not taking our old categories for one minute. I mean, sure, there's a small minority of them who were raised by the Klan who are, but you know, who's the fellow who just stepped off the Klan who's in San Francisco now? The guy who had his radio show, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. So there was this guy who was the Dauphin of the Klan, right? You guys know the story? It's been all in the media. So he was the Dauphin of the Klan. He had a radio show. He finally got old enough to go to college. He went to college. And some of his friends, he was friends with kids of all races. And somebody Googled him and found out that he was like this Klan Dauphin who was going to inherit all this power. He had a radio show. They called him out. He went home. He came back to college. And instead of these kids shaming him, they were like, we love you, just hang out with us. Long story short, he is now working with other clan youth to kind of deprogram them, and he's in San Francisco, and he has this great movement, right? So I'm just, so I was being funny, but I, I do mean literally, like, we are in bed with each other, we are, and it would be really great. I mean, you know, nationalists talk about, you know, this is, this is one nationalist strategy that used to be kind of, it's horrible, it's sexist, it's misogyny, right? But there's a part of me that's kind of like, Okay, <laughs> you know, maybe we can figure out ways to love each other in other ways as well. I mean, it's happening, yeah, it's happening. Well. I know, Robin is like, no, hell no. But he's like, we're streaming this, I can't say that right now. No, but you guys, I'm sorry. I grew up, I, I, I come from, as many of us do, from a very mixed family. 
very mixed, like of every race imaginable. And those people went through hell in the 50s and 60s to be together. I'm being silly, but I'm, I'm also being honest, right? And it's no mistake that California, right, is one of the strongest blue states in the nation. Part of that is about the Great Migration West, which nobody wants to talk about, and I bring it up every chance I get. Part of it is also about the Pacific Rim, right? I was joking with someone today because uh, one of my students is Simone and Black, and I was like, that's such mm -hmm. a, like, like popular mix in mm -hmm. LA. Like, everybody's Simone and Black in LA, you know? So I'm just thinking about racial mixing. Okay, I'm going off, I'm shutting up. But <laughs> we do need to take it seriously. Well, I just, I, this is not about arrows. This is mm. something totally different. But to go back to the, it works. the question of, um, of business, of business, you know, I just, I'm reminded that, um, yeah, my president was black, but my president Obama also brought Goldman Sachs mm -hmm. into his machine. Mm -hmm. That what we're looking at is not um, a dramatic revolutionary break from four decades of neoliberal policy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I get concerned about is the way, um, uh, it seems like every other administration gets a pass suddenly. Mm. Um, when in fact, you know, when we talk about Trump's business dealings, I mean, they're explicit, they're, they're mm -hmm. obvious, they're almost too obvious. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about, um, you know, the fact that it was under Clinton that um, you get uh, the massive continuation of deregulation of the banks. Um, the repeal of Glass-Steagall. I mean, creating the conditions right. for um, for immiseration, mm. for capital flight, um, for privatization of just about everything. And I'm not saying I don't want, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want to give the impression that somehow I'm not saying this is a qualitative difference, and that we're not dealing with what is clearly um, a fascist turn. Mm. Um, that's there. Um, but we have to put it in this longer perspective. Mm -hmm. um, had Hillary Clinton been elected, would we all be here talking about this? You know, mm -hmm. some of us mm -hmm. would be, definitely. Mm -hmm. But some people would be like celebrating. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have to deal with, this, with the kind of immediate emergency of deportations and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But we would be dealing with uh, um, the continuation of war. And just one small thing, you know, we, um, and, and this goes back to King again. I mean, um, King was, among many, many things, a great anti-war leader, okay? Uh, we don't have an anti-war movement mm. in the United States. Mm. We, we, have, we, we have people who are like, have been resisting certain aspects of war, but a deep anti-war movement, an anti-war position. In fact, there's some people whose position is, well, we just need to have a better strategy to defeat ISIS, you know, and just, we need to have a strategy that actually preserves civil liberties, you know, but we, we just need to end war. And King was very radical about that. Now, where did King yes. get that idea from? Yeah. Do you know? His wife. Mm -hmm. Coretta Scott King had a history, both in the, before she met um, Martin, as an anti-war activist in Henry Wallace campaign, she was uh, very active in the Women's National uh, Congress of Peace and Freedom. 
Um, she, she was pushing for peace in anti-war in the early 60s when King didn't want to talk about it. He was for it, but he felt like his ministry and his role in SCLC didn't allow him to do that until finally Coretta kept saying, you need to take a stance. But of course, she gets pushed mm-hmm. out on the side. And I think that's, that's a really important story for us right now because um, no matter what Trump and his people say about withdrawing the U.S. from all these wars, that's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Not only are we going to see um, an expansion of global war under the name of the global war on terror, um, but we're all in the continuation of AFRICOM in Africa. We're going to see all this stuff. We're going to see domestic war. Mm. Domestic warfare. Some of you, on Sunday night, we had a screening of the murder of Fred Hampton. Um, and I was in conversation with Erica Huggins. And some young people saw films of two people being assassinated and some people being shot up by the police. Now, that stuff is happening now. It's going to be much more explicit. You thought COINTELPRO was bad. Mm. What we're about to see is going to be a lot worse. Mm, and the, the edifice for that, mm. the structure for that, goes back to Reagan and was enhanced under Obama. Mm. Yeah. So let's not forget mm-hmm. that. See, so it's, it was bad before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's worse now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever time to, to have love and strategy, now is the time, yeah. you know? I, I didn't mean to get off the track. But, nope, you're not. Uh, no, you're, you're not. You're on, on the track. track. <laughs> totally on the track. Tracy. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly, Trace. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Right, so uh, before I forget, you guys, there is a movement afoot right now for a, a general strike on February 17th. For those of you who don't know about it, if you do know about it, please publicize it. Um, for those people who cannot go to work, do not go to work, and, for, and don't spend money. And there's a lot of stuff going around. Please look for it. Please, if you're on social media, please advertise it. Um, Tracy, that's a great question. Um, I don't know the answer. I, I, I'm here because I get you, McKinsey. I'll, I'll call you in a second. I, I mean, I'm, I wanted to be here tonight because I'm confused. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have the answers. I, I want to, but I don't. Um, but I want to stay active. What I've been thinking about is I would like the demonstrations I've participated in to have more specific goals in mind. Um, but maybe that doesn't need to happen so much anymore because of social media and because the media has changed. 
right? I mean, I was kind of like, what are we going to do with three million people out in the streets last weekend? Can we do something with those three million people to really push it? But maybe that was enough. I don't know. I, I don't pretend to have answers. I'm just as lost as anyone else. Um, I'm thinking very seriously about because of the Muslim ban organizing a boycott of the airlines. That's um, what I've been talking to some people about, and we're thinking about doing it. The problem with that is, you know, people bought their tickets well in advance, so we probably will have to wait until I was thinking maybe July 4th and maybe block out a week, no flying at all. That's something that would really hurt the airlines and the government, I think, you know, and so many other corporations. Um, but of course, immediately as we began talking about this online, and I, I, welcome, I welcome disagreement, then the conversations are, well, the airlines didn't do anything, right? And so there, I know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, <laughs> right? And I go, yeah, you know, well, some buses didn't do anything, you know, so we got into this whole conversation. But never right. was the response, but those Muslims who were banning didn't do anything either. Mm. So that's interesting to me that you care more about a plane than a human being, right? So I think that's one thing that I'm tiptoeing into is a boycott of the airlines if the Muslim ban continues. And from what I heard on my way here on the news, they, they absolutely feel completely entitled to it, con to continuing and no remorse whatsoever. There will be no re revisions. They said that that's a narrative of the press. Mm. Right, that it's the chattering classes. <laughs> That's a direct quote. Mackenzie, you had a question? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, we'll take more questions. I'll, I'll come back to that question. Right. For me, that, that feels the most uh, threat. Yeah. I have a direct action to people that are mm -hmm. right. I, you know, I think that's important. I, um, can I just take a different take on this? Yeah. Um, slightly take, slightly different take. Um, I think that's very important. I also have a, uh, in, in, Trust me, after I finish what I'm about to say, you'll never invite me back. It's okay. <laughs> but I, I, it was nice to see you, Julie. Um, <laughs> but there's two things. One is um, one of the most amazing cities for radical politics is Louisville. Mm -hmm. it's one of the most amazing cities for radical politics is Louisville, Kentucky. Okay? Um, the South has a long history mm -hmm. of 
incredible resistance, whether you're talking about North Carolina. So we think of North Carolina as a reactionary state because the, the coup d'etat that took place in North Carolina, where they were able to ram legislation through illegally, um, which meant voter suppression, meant it was an attempt to suppress a vibrant political movement. Um, we see that all throughout the South. Um, the South has some of the most militant, visionary activists. Yeah. Many of them actually look like me or darker. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of white people too, but what we've witnessed over the years is a deliberate, concerted effort at voter suppression mm -hmm. and state violence against those movements, which means that we get the impression that that it's the Midwest and the South where those are the people we need to reach out to and, and help because they're the most reactionary forces. I don't believe that. Yeah. We live in a state right now that builds more prisons than any other state. Mm, yeah. We live in a state where we, we think, we would live in a state, remember, that passed um, legislation to make um, gay marriage illegal, mm, right? Mm -hmm. We live in a, in a, in a reactionary state where um, and Kikansa knows this because she's been organizing around these questions, where, I'm, where, where students, black and brown students, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. take a drive up five, and what you see is prison after prison after prison. Mm -hmm. And then... Can I interject one thing? Under, mm -hmm. Exactly. You guys, but even, even yes. before we go there, we have right. one of the highest populations of white supremacy groups in the country. Right. We have right. 57 groups. Right. And even if, you just, even if you just take the extremists out and just deal with the fact that um, school kids in high schools, in junior high schools, uh, were being treated by the LAPD and the LA school police as if they're criminals, black and Latino kids, who, because they're late to school, were being arrested or given tickets and, pay, and being having to pay fines that were just astronomical. And it was the organizing around those young people that at least took the pressure off. So. I think the idea that of California succeeding from the union and California is a liberal state and California, I'm so happy to be here, that's just bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we're dealing mm -hmm. with, with a, a, a nation that through violence mm -hmm. and trickery and all kinds of illegal and immoral and undemocratic means have suppressed the vote. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we witnessed it was a stolen election mm -hmm. and we can't forget that. Right. Um, and, and we also can't, you know, we also have to sort of pay attention to where we are. So I think a lot of the work that we need to do, need to do is both not just resist Trump, we have to do that, but we need to resist forms of inequality and oppression right here mm -hmm. in our neighborhoods, in mm -hmm. our communities, in our state. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work to do in that sense. I, I, I don't mean to go on about that, but it's like one of my things. I think that's a really great point. <laughs> But who's the we, though? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because people have been organizing for a long time around these issues. 
Um, and, and if you just take Black Lives Matter, you take mm -hmm. the Strategy Center, you t there's a whole list of, or if you take critical resistance, they've been organizing around the prisons mm -hmm. since, since like the early 1990s. Right. That's now. No, I, I don't dispute that. I'm saying the sense of urgency has been here for a lot of us who were not surprised by Trump's election. Mm -hmm. And suddenly a bunch of white liberals get, get traumatized by it. Mm -hmm. And then they say, we got to be urgent. Mm -hmm. I'm like, please. Mm -hmm. we, I don't understand. I don't understand that. I, I, you know, and this is the thing. And, and, I, and I, I, look, I, I don't want to get into an argument, but this, no, no. In, in the 60s, in the 60s, there, there was a sense of urgency, but it wasn't universal. Mm -hmm. The civil rights right. movement was not a mass movement. I'm sorry, it was not a mass movement. You know, it, the, 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 the peace movement was, was huge, but it became huge after people, a small group of people, struggled for, to, against the war. Um, SDS was not a big organization. These were not mass movements. The urgency was among a core group of people, and I think we see that now, mm. but the sad thing is, Think about what happened. Groups like Movement for Black Lives got blamed for mm. Hillary Clinton's defeat. Mm. Got mm -hmm. blamed for it, rather than people joining and supporting that. Mm -hmm. Hold on, excuse me, yeah. sweetheart. We're okay, gonna. I'm sorry. So no, 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 I'm stop. no. No, no. We're gonna enact. Mm. We're gonna enact what Martin Luther King is talking right. about in this letter to Birmingham and on the mm -hmm. Montgomery bus boycott instructions. We're going to be respectful. Right? We're not just gonna talk over each other and scream right. over people who have had their hands up. You can talk all you like, right. but there are other people with hands up. So we're just gonna take it one thing at a time, okay? That's how we change the world. We don't disrespect each other. Sir, you've had your hand up for a long time. You've had your hand up for a long time. If you wanna speak again, you should put your hand up. I'll be happy to call on you and then die and then you, ma'am. Okay. I think that my question is really building on this topic. Yes, sir. The thing that jumped out at me Exactly. Absolutely. Why don't you comment that. on it? Hold on, they didn't hear you in the back. Can you can you repeat? Great. So the thing, you guys heard, you heard everything he said? So the thing for me that I, my takeaway, I, I, I thank you for bringing up the thing about, uh, that King says about white moderates. My takeaway just now is that we don't have a policy, right? Because the thing that I've been disturbed by, and another reason why I wanted to read this King, um, these King texts, is I can't believe the way we feel so superior to just about everyone. Mm. I can't, I can't tolerate it. It, 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 it burns me up. The elitism amongst liberals, or as King would say, white moderates, mm -hmm. is disgusting. How dare you? 
How dare you call people rednecks? Mm-hmm. That's just an inch away from nigger to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a redneck on the other side of that coin. And so all of this kind of elitist superiority, um, shaming of, and we won't even talk about the inherent classism, mm-hmm. right? That we talk about white people, white poor people in the South, just as, as Robin was talking about the activists in the South, right? There are also a lot of white activists in the South mm-hmm. who've been kicking ass for centuries, mm-hmm. right? And we are just dismissing an entire area of our country because we think that we're better than them, that they're stupid, we have nothing to say to them. I want to plug uh, Robin's book, Hammer and Ho. You must read it. You must read it, right? We don't even think about the South. The moment the moment the election happened, everybody was talking about moving to Canada, and I was mm. like, move your ass to Kentucky. Right. Mm. Mm. Why don't you move your hipster ass to Kentucky <laughs> and all your friends and start teaching? No, this is what I was talking about. I know I was being silly earlier because I like to be silly, mm-hmm. but I, I am thinking. Mm. You know, move to Kentucky and start teaching Head Start. Mm-hmm. We have to get to those kids early on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. People who do early childhood education, God bless you. We have to get to those clan children early on. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, see, this is where I'm trying to avoid. Tracy, I'm trying to keep calm, <laughs> but it's really hard mm-hmm. because you guys, you know, yeah, I like my Haas avocados. I like living in a blue state. <laughs> You know, but I did grow up in Compton being shot at by the LAPD morning, right. noon, and night. It was right. normal. It was normative. I see a gun, I don't flinch to this day. That's mm-hmm. sickening, mm-hmm. right? But we cannot, we cannot continue to adopt this kind of elitist attitude because we will never end up talking, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, I don't, I mean, I do mean that I am lost. Mm-hmm. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And I'm just trying, like all the rest of you, to figure it out. No, I forget who was next. I saw your hand earlier. No. Yeah, you, sir. Yeah. Oh. All right, so I wanted to read something from the letter. Okay, great. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Just, just to keep us activated. Thank I you. thought of something else. But now Fantastic. <laughs> right, I think you can all hear me very well. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a thespian. Um, we know through painful experience that yes. freedom is never voluntary given mm-hmm. by the oppressor. Mm-hmm. Right. It must be demanded by the oppressed. This is from Martin's voice. Frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the dis-ease of segregation. Mm. For years, now I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's fantastic. Thank you, Charles. Gwendolyn Brooks also has a great line in one of her poems. I think it's in the Gay Chaps at the Bar sauna where she says, wait the puny light. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Behind you, Charles. I saw your hand earlier. Yeah. Hi, dear. Go back to this um, discussion about social interaction mm. and uh, the promise of it, or just love as a kind of social bringing in the promise of it of to sort of take us from, I don't know, Jordan oppression to 
Absolutely. Um, and so or you can have friendships, right? Mm-hmm. And and still like mm-hmm. when it matters politically, mm-hmm. right, those things devolve mm-hmm. and they don't mean anything. And so um I really want I really want to think about this issue of like what is love for a political community, right? Love for the world, a love that's not attached through desire, like I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, a familial desire. Um Great. Right? Go, girl. Go. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Absolutely, baby. Right. There is no other, there is no alternative. No right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. But liberal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But but liberalism need, liberalism need not be the the foundation. See, this is the thing. I mean, uh, and we could talk about that as well, whether or not um, Locke, who, of course, we know work and helped construct the South Carolina's constitution and was himself proponent of slavery and, 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 and himself an advocate of enclosure, pushing people off the commons. In other words, there may be other sources of a political theory, and let's take Dr. King as an advance, not as a break from liberalism. I mean, I think King was a break from liberalism. And so if you go back to his notion of agape, he's saying it's not even about the space, although these spaces are very important. This space is extremely important for this, because you know, you're right, space, physical space is important. But he's also saying what is going to be the character of the struggle, not just a conversation, but a struggle, that to hold community together mm would mean to hold together in spite of disagreements, 
that disagreements exactly. is not the basis of, 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 of divide. Um, that, you know, that you can have romantic love and friendship, but neither of those alone constitute what he thinks of as agape, mm. you know, or, or what Paul Tillich thinks of. And so agape means that you hold on and struggle and fight and fight and fight, uh, or what Hegel might think of as like thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. That is the transformation of these ideas into something new. Um, uh, Ella Baker, I think, was a greater theorist than uh, John Locke could ever be, just in my mm. opinion. And what Ella Baker always focused on was what, is, what does it mean to build consensus? Consensus is not you find the common denominator and get together on that and then sort of exclude everything else. Consensus means constant struggle, constant mm. debate, constant thinking through until you come to a common ground and you produce a new common ground. And I think one of the mistakes we make in terms of coalition politics and this sort of thing, and, and this is where I, you know, for, for all of Obama's language about um, we need to find out where we, you know, where we, into, where, where we can find unity, where we come together, I think that's limited. It's not about finding that one space where we can have all of our differences and find that one space where we unite. It's about being together in community to produce a new vision of unity mm. so that um, we don't have to have a vision of entrepreneurship as a, as a way to, to free the people. We have a vision of the commons. Mm. And the commons is about basically saying that there is no private space, that we produce a new kind of public space, a new way of being. But that takes, that's a long-term process. And it takes an enormous amount of patience, and it takes hearing things you don't want to, that, we, that I know I don't want to hear, but we have to hear it anyway to get through it, if that makes any, any sense at all. But mm -hmm. I think that's the love that he was trying to get at. No, but I don't know if you... Okay. Di, you had your hand up for a long time. Good, uh, yeah. Um, make many folks uh, meaningless. Mm -hmm. So, for mm -hmm. example, when you win a district, if 90% of votes, 40% of your votes yes. are, you know, yeah. probably lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. We can do, yeah. 
-hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Recognizing uh -huh. strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll take two more questions. And I'm going to let um, each of you pick one. <laughs> Go ahead. The first one or the bottom one, the two? The bottom one. So can I read it? If another person is being molested, do not arise to go to his defense, but pray for the oppressor and use moral and spiritual force mm -hmm. to carry out the struggle and for justice. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Great. Right. But so that's a great point, you guys. This is about a very specific historical, mm -hmm. political action right. for integration yeah, 1956. in 1956. 1956, right. right? So to, I mean, we, take, we can take from this what, we, what can be helpful, but, you know, we don't have to, because here they are specifically trying to enact a law that is just that their entire community would not accept, just the same way that some people are not honoring, you know, uh, the stay on the Muslim ban, right? So they figured out a way that was really complicated to try to push mm -hmm. that. That's not, that's not the same situation if you and I are on the bus and we see somebody being harassed that we don't go to them. That's, that's a totally different situation, right? Which is, I think, what you were trying to say about black men on the streets, right you know, like Eric Garner getting harassed, right? This is a very specific political strategy. And I wanted us to just think about it to see what, you know, it's kind of like 12 steps. What can we take? What can we leave? Mm. Right? And, and they say at the bottom, look, according to your own ability and personality, you not be afraid to experiment yeah. with new and creative techniques, right? right. So Yeah, and, and what the document doesn't tell you, and which we know is true, is that people, when, when they desegregated the bus, they rode in community. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between you know, harassing someone when there's two black people on the bus versus harassing people when there's 40. You know? and, and so there, there is something to say about that, I mean, in terms Absolutely. of actual physical presence. I think what else is really important about this is that it's such a specific list of actions mm -hmm. to take. And so that's something that, as a whole, as an idea we can take for today, is thinking about how specific you can get with 
detailed actions for um, making change. Right. Um, right. Savvy and I were. Oh, sorry. Sure. For a long time. Yes. Thanks for your great, great, great question. <laughs> I'm getting on a plane on Thursday to go spend some time with a friend who's Iraqi, and her family, the Iraqi diaspora, of course, is spread out all over the world because of all the decades and centuries of war, right? And so immediately the thing I did was try to use a little bit of power I have to call and say, if I write this article about this family, right, can you publish it? And yes, the answer is yes. And the thing I think is I go for the most powerful publication with the widest circulation, right? Um, in terms of poetry, however, that's a slower payoff. Right, because poetry takes a whole other aspect of my work. Um, you, you know, poetry is a lot like acting. You have to, you have to put your psyche on the page, and that. I do think. Look, I can't believe I was about to say that. I do think that poetry can has its role and has always has its role hand in hand with hum, hum, like human history. Without doubt, we've been writing poems as long as we've been upright and probably Absolutely. before that, right? Um, we can't live without it. But it takes a long time to do it. Um, I am writing a poem right now. I was gonna try to write it for tonight about a love poem for Trump, but it's a seduction poem. I got, you know, it's like, come here, baby. What's, something's wrong with you. <laughs> you know? How can I make it better? Tell me what's going on. <laughs> Tell me about your mama. Because no one's talking about Trump's mother, which I find very interesting, right? right? No, but you guys, I, I joke a lot, but I'm deadly serious, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I'm trying to answer your question of what does it feel like to be a poet in this moment? Um, and that is a, a kind of poem that I know will be published in a particular way, and will get to other people that I would, wouldn't normally get to because of love. And in this right. point, Eros. Eros is a fantastic political tool. Yes. Right? We don't want to talk about it much, but it is. It, that's yeah. the reason why Nicki Minaj and whoever those people are and, and Beyonce has such a huge following. It's not, you know, it's not just their music. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just to, first of all, this is spoken from the voice of one of the greatest poets of my generation. Right. So, he, he, so you know, there's no such thing as a movement without poetry. It doesn't mm. exist. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so you asked the question about writing. I mean, I've written quite a bit around this to the point where my, my family's mad at me because I'm like up at 4 o'clock in the morning trying to write stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think there's two things. The most powerful poetry is a poetry that goes to the root and reveals something you don't that you don't expect. It's the thing that, that, that surprises you, that makes you have to stop and think. The greatest poetry is not the thing you snap your fingers to. Yeah. And, and so it's the same thing with writing. Like my writing, that tries to be historical, that tries to address some of the problems, I'm not actually interested in making people, in, in presenting what's familiar. Yeah. Like, I don't need to, yeah. to just attack mm. the obvious yeah. and say we're in a neo-fascist moment. 
I've got to get to the root of the issue, which mm. means that sometimes I write things that are not that, um, it's not self-evident, it's not that popular, yeah. um, but it's, it's, it tr I try to engage in some deep thinking, and it's always deep thinking that's not myself alone, but mm -hmm. in community. Right. Always in community. Right. I'm always, I have comrades, right. and we think about these things. Yeah. And so if we can do anything, it's to read, mm. mm -hmm. it's to write, is to think deeply about the things that are not self-evident. Don't take the easy way out, um, and be and not be afraid to be unpopular mm -hmm. with what you write and what you talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, political education is so important yeah. because, again, we failed. We failed our children by not preparing them for this. Absolutely, mm. we should have known Absolutely. this was going to happen. Absolutely, you know, we should have known, and we totally failed them. Mm -hmm. So. Part of it has to do with a failure of analysis, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and and we're still failing. I mean, the fact that again, the, the gentleman is talking about Russia. I think I'm so glad you said that because people are, are talking about Russia, but they're not talking about Detroit. Mm -hmm. Now, why why is Detroit important? Because in Detroit, two things happened. In Michigan, they basically got rid of about a half about three hundred thousand ballots by using cross check. Mm -hmm. And then in the city of Detroit, some like 50,000 ballots were just considered unreadable. And so you got straight up voter um, violence mm -hmm. taking place in, in, in a state where 40% of the black population does not have elected local elected officials because they replace them with emergency managers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to know this. We need to know that democracy is being eroded in front of our face, and we're talking about Russia? Really? So you know, we need deeper analysis. So between the poetry that makes us think and writing that makes us think and reading that makes us think and makes us uncomfortable, that's the only way we can move forward. Otherwise, mm. um, I'm just so tired of bloggers who say the most obvious thing and they're self-congratulatory because mm. they sit in a room and they'll do anything <laughs> but write the obvious, you know? So mm -hmm. that's, I think, where writing comes, is very, very important. To, to me, I mean. I the think we need thing, to... I just wanted to ahead. ask, the other thing that I try to do in my work is to hide, to mm -hmm. hide my um, desire to change people. Mm. I, I, I try to bury it very deeply so that people can't see that I'm actually trying mm -hmm. to get them to change their thinking about right. something. And it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, but poetry is a good way to do it, mm. right? They just see the little short lines and they think, oh, Hallmark card, you know, whatever. <laughs> so. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to Robin okay. Kelly Thank and Robin you. Lewis. Thank you. I also want to say thank you to everybody in the audience because I swear I had really smart questions written, but once I got up here, I just wanted to listen to all of you, me and I'm too. really grateful for me all too. of you for asking these yes, amazing questions, some yeah. of which I'd written down, some of which yeah. I could have never imagined. So thank you yeah. so much for your participation tonight. Please support the general strike, February 17th. Please support the general strike and talk about it. You guys were fantastic, thank you. And Julia wants to say something, I think. Oh, no, she doesn't. Please what? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, very good point. Please support Clock Shop, you guys. Yes. Please support Clock Shop. They do fantastic work. Thank you, darling. Okay, so, so we, we have, have each other's email, yeah?